give, so I'm a giver. Little at a time, new trails are blazing. Action is in effect, it always stays in. Yeah, just like a shot from a cannon. I am the man in charge, and I'm the planet. A jam strong enough that it can lift your Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most valuable podcast presented by 4 for 4 Football. I am 4 for 4's senior DFS editor, Chris Raybon, and I am joined, as always, by associate editor who's been putting out some really great work lately, Mr. TJ Hernandez. How you doing, TJ? What's up, Chris? Uh, I'm glad I got to watch a, a real NFL game last night. We're recording this on Friday, so I got to watch a little bit of preseason football. So that was exciting, but you know we're ready for the real grind, so we'll be getting into that today. Most definitely, and just a note on preseason, if people want to um, find some preseason DFS plays, I, I'm going to start trying to post some on Twitter um, for each slate. Um, I did that for the last slate um, last Friday, so um, look out for that. I might not do it for every slate, but I'll try to at least get some plays out there um, for all the slates. But Uh, Moving on to the music before we get into the running back DFS strategy pod. Uh, The song was The Symphony, uh, produced by Marley Maul, featuring Juice Crew members Master Ace, Cool G Rap, Craig G, and Big Daddy Kane. So some classics on there. Um, The track appears on Marley Maul's 1988 Cold Chillin' Records release, In Control Volume 1. So 1988, that's like a... That's only a year after I was born. Uh, <laughs> Rolling Stone actually ranked uh, this song the 48th greatest hip-hop song of all time and the first truly great posse cut. So, uh, TJ, tell us a little more about that song. Yeah, I just was scrolling through some old cuts trying to find something for our, our intro, and I came across this. And like, If you listen to this song, it's probably one of the, the best lyrical songs you'll find uh maybe in history it's just so good uh, especially if you're from the east coast i got a lot of subtle east coast references in there so i'm sure you appreciate that but if you do like the music we do have our playlist on spotify just search dfs mvp and has almost all of our intros the ones that are on on spotify there's one or two missing but uh some some lineup building music or some gym music whatever you want to use it for we got all the classics on there Actually, I already got a song in mind for next week. Uh, <laughs> you picked the first two, so I'm going to come back strong next week. I think you're going to appreciate it. Uh, but we digress. Let's get into one other order of business before we start the running back strategy discussion. I mentioned last week on the show that we would be giving out a free $99 4 for 4 DFS subscription to person who reviewed the pod and retweeted the pod on Twitter, and the winner is uh, Aaron Blauer. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, on Twitter, he's at PennyPackerFF. So, Aaron, please contact that us at DFSMVP at 444.com or uh, tweet me or TJ, and uh, we'll get you set up with that free $99 value. 4 for 4 DFS subscription. Uh, The DFS subscription, I think you guys are really going to like it this year. I know we had a lot of positive feedback last year, but we've been working on this uh, all fall, all winter, all summer. We started improving the DFS uh, uh, for for this year uh, right after it launched last year. So a lot of good things to look forward to with that. I'll talk more about that at the end of the podcast. But let's jump right in to the 
DFS running back strategy discussion, and we'll be going over uh, a few different articles that me and TJ have released on 4 for 4 over the last couple of weeks. And Let's first talk about something that I talked about with quarterbacks as well, and, and that's correlations. Um, with running backs, this is a, an especially polarizing issue, I think, because it, it, it turns into a volume versus efficiency thing. Um, we, what we want to do is we want to look at fantasy points, and we want to see which stats are, in essence, the most important, which stats should we be looking at, which stats correlate the most strongly to running back fantasy production. So I will go through some of these correlations. I have a correlation chart on the DFS uh, Playbook 2016 Running Back Strategy Guide. And the top correlations for running back fantasy production are touches per game, touch market share, red zone touches per game, red zone touch market share, uh, and target market share, and red zone rushing attempts per game. Basically, all of the opportunity stats, all of the ones I just mentioned, have correlations of 0.55 or higher. Uh, Correlations go on a scale of 0 to 1 and basically tell you how much uh, two variables are associated with each other. So 0.55 is... is, um, is, is where all the ones I just mentioned, all the opportunity metrics uh, come out. And then at the bottom of the list, we have yards per carry at 0.32, uh, catch rate at 0.25, yards per touch at 0.20, yards per target at 0.18, and yards per reception at 0.07. And those are the five uh, low, weakest correlations on the list. This, this is FanDuel points per game. I also did it uh, for DraftKings points per game, and the correlations are pretty similar. Uh, but I don't want to read uh, two sets of numbers, so we'll stick with the FanDuel ones for now. But what this basically means is that for running backs, it's all about volume. Um, it comes down to volume over efficiency. Uh, you know, an inefficient per se running back might still average, you know, 3.5 yards a carry, and an efficient one might average four yards, 4.5 yards per carry. So, you know, if if that efficient running back isn't getting volume, the inefficient guy is still going to put up better fantasy totals. Of course, in season long, you're looking more at uh, how good a running back is, is how efficient he can be, because that will oftentimes be an indicator of uh, will he be able to keep his job for the whole season. But in DFS, it's a one-week thing. We pretty much know coming into the game who's going to get the volume, and those are the guys that we should be rostering in DFS. Um, That's one difference between season-long and DFS. And just to give you guys some nuggets, uh, since 2013, uh, 8.6 running backs per week have scored at least 20 DraftKings points, and 75% of those had at least 18 touches. So you see how important uh, a high number of touches is to running back production. Uh, another interesting nugget, in 2015, 4 for 4 had a running back projected for at least 18 touches at a DraftKings salary of 4,500 or under uh, 43 times or two and a half times per week. And those backs average 14 and a half points and returns a stellar 3.57 points per thousand dollars on DraftKings. So, you know, 2.5 times per week and they're returning great value, which basically means that, you know, when you see cheap running backs, inexpensive running backs slated to get volume, you really have to jump on these situations. There will usually be anywhere from one to three of those guys per week. And it's very important to um, get the one of those guys into your lineup, uh, it really will help you out. 
especially now on DraftKings where they might have raised quarterback salaries a little bit. You still need to pay for some consistency at wide receiver. So um, running back is a good place to find some cheap volume there. Uh, in 2015, 4 for 4 had a running back projected for at least 18 touches at a FanDuel salary of 6,500 or under 63 times or 3.7 times per week. And those backs also averaged 14.5 FanDuel points, which was the same amount as the 8,000-plus backs that we had projected for 18 or more touches. So in essence... Um, you know, the cheaper back scored 40% more points per dollar because um, it really a lot of times came down to volume. And that, that's just proof of volume over efficiency. You know, um, when, when we have backs projected for a, a high number of volume where it's a lot easier to nail those volume projections than it is to nail efficiency projections, which can get thrown out of whack by one long run or a couple of stuff. So um, the offensive line comes into play a lot. It's not just running back talent. Remember, you have five, six, seven guys blocking on each play. Um, so um, go, from touches, we'll go into another thing that's important. Obviously, you need volume. But another thing you need is you know, touchdowns and 59% of all rushing touchdowns occur inside the five yard line. So basically six out of 10 occur inside the five, 86% of rushing touchdowns occur inside the red zone. You need those goal line backs in DFS and you need those red zone backs in DFS. And TJ, you had a really good <laughs> quote. <laughs> you had a really good quote, uh, a really funny clip about uh, Melvin Gordon after the Hall of Fame game got canceled due to paint. What did you say? Yeah, they, they canceled the Hall of Fame game because there was a problem with the logo, and they just kept talking about paint on the field, paint on the field, paint on the field. So I just tweeted out, Melvin Gordon just found out that there was paint on a football field because he gets no touches near the end zone. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's true, though. It, I think that it, it, TJ was, you know, he's joking, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's true as far as, you know, these backs are kind of going to be the backs that we want to avoid. You know, a guy like Melvin Gordon, who sees a lot of work, you know, he's one of the exceptions where he saw a decent volume, but it was all between the 20s. And you really want to be combining volume with those goal line and red zone carries. And that's what Danny Woodhead was getting, who was actually a much better uh, value throughout the season. Another guy in danger of seeing a similar to a Melvin Gordon kind of workload is Amir Abdullah. He's really talented, but Detroit seems to want to use him a lot more between the 20s. They tend to have a big back that they use near the goal line, and of course, Theo Riddick gets a lot of the third down snaps. So those are things to watch out for. And then the last thing to look at that's really important when it comes to running backs is game script. And that basically means how does the game play out, which team is leading, and how will that affect running backs? And what happens is when teams are leading, they rush 50.2% of the time. So they basically rush half the time. When the average NFL team is trailing, they rush only 33% of the time. So leading, they're rushing half the time. Trailing, that goes down to one-third. So you can see how important it is for a team to be playing with a lead uh, so the running back can get a few extra carries every quarter. Uh, Winning teams... Their average rushing line over the last three years, 30.9 carries, 128.4 rushing yards, and 1.0 rushing touchdowns. Now, losers, on the other hand, only 22.5 carries, 93.2 rushing yards, and 0.49 rushing touchdowns. So winning teams have eight point average 8.4 more carries, 36.2 more rushing yards, and over double the amount of rushing touchdowns um, as losing teams. Now, 
of course, we can't predict winners and losers beforehand, but what we can do is look at favorites versus underdogs, and there's a split there too. So favorites, the average rushing line over the past three years is 27.7 carries, 117.3 yards, and .87 rushing touchdowns. Underdogs, on the other hand, only 25.7 carries, 104.3 rushing yards, and .63 rushing touchdowns. So uh, there's about a uh, 13-yard uh, difference in rushing yards and about a 0.25 uh, quarter of a touchdown difference in terms of favorites versus under- underdogs that you're getting an advantage. Uh, home favorites on DraftKings averaged 2.91 DraftKings points per $1,000 last season. Uh, the next highest was 2.60 uh, out of the four possible combinations. So home favorites were the best values on DraftKings. FanDuel as well, uh, home favorites there at running back average 1.85 points per thousand dollars and the next highest was 1.66 so uh, home favorites were returning the best value per dollar and they were far better than any of the other possible combinations as far as home underdogs road favorites road underdogs and a few other cash game notes all the stuff i've been talking about now it's stuff that you really want to take into account in cash games where you're looking to keep your floor high and you want to kind of really not whiff on any selection so just a couple more notes on cash games and then tj will uh, take us into how to find some big games for tournaments but cash games salary uh tiers on FanDuel, the top salary tier is in terms of hitting 2x value, which is 2 points per $1,000. Uh, if you get 120 points, it usually puts you in a decent position to win uh, heads-to-heads in 50-50. So uh, a lot of times you look for that 2x value number. It differs per position and per week. But uh, 40.6 was the highest uh, in the 8,000 to 8,400 tier on FanDuel, 40, 40.6% of running backs last season uh, hit 2x value. And the next highest was uh, 6,000 to 6,400 at 38.6%. On DraftKings, uh, we look for 3x value so you can hit 150 points. Um, and on DraftKings especially, um, with the PPR, full PPR, and the yardage bonuses and everything, um, these cheap running backs were really uh, the top plays, the, the the top salary tier in terms of increments of 5000 uh, to hit 3x value, the top salary tier was actually the lowest. 3000 at 3400 hit 3x value 46.7% of the time. And the second highest was the 4000 to 44000 range, which hit 3x value 45.5% of the time. So really look out for these cheap running backs getting volume. You want those 18-plus touches. You want these favorites. You want them at home. You keep those things in mind, and you should have success choosing your running backs and cash games. But of course, we're really here to win the big money in these tournaments. So, TJ, you recently published a really awesome piece that I encourage all the listeners to check out on 444.com, and it's called DFS Big Game Profiles. Uh, here we'll talk about the running back edition of that article. So, TJ, tell us, um, how do you pinpoint big games for running backs? Yeah, so uh, Chris and I went through a lot of the similar 
numbers this offseason, but we just came at it from a different angle. So you'll see that a lot of this stuff lines up really closely between our research. Uh, but what I did here is I wanted to pinpoint big games for each position, and uh, I needed to figure out a threshold because we're never going to roster the top guy at every position that's virtually impossible to come up with a perfect lineup but as we know we don't need the perfect lineup to take out a gpp we just need these baselines that are going to keep us in contention and what i found was that uh, on average to take down a gpp or to be near the top if you roster a running back that finishes around the top six at his position on either Fanduel or DraftKings, and this varies a little bit on DraftKings, it gets muddy with the with the flex position but uh, in general uh, that that top six running back will keep you in contention and the point threshold for that is about 24 points on Fanduel, uh, right around 27 or 28 points on DraftKings and that fits pretty closely with what you found in your numbers when we get into your playbook GPP notes so uh, it's good to see that that your numbers aligned with that um, but I just went through and, and looked at the running backs for the last three years that hit these point thresholds on each site and looked for some trends uh, that maybe we can use as guides to start pinpointing these really big game running backs and GPPs. And uh, what I found, which probably isn't too surprising if you've been paying attention to DFS at all over the last couple of years, is that more than any other position, being at home was very important for running backs. Uh, but even more important than being at home were wins. And there was some variance between the sites, but uh, for our big game running backs, 80% of the time our big game running backs on FanDuel were at home, 70% of the time uh, they were on DraftKings, and this just gets us into the conversation of why we see these discrepancies between the sites. And I'll, I'll get into that a little bit, uh, the trends, and then why they uh, differ. Uh, because we see the scoring difference on FanDuel and DraftKings, FanDuel is half PPR. Uh, there's no yardage bonus. Uh, the reason those wins were especially important on FanDuel is because game script the scoring system lends itself to game script a little more uh, on Fanduel. if a running back is getting those late game touches and more importantly has a chance to score a second touchdown which, which i'll touch on a little bit more uh, they can really dominate the game whereas on DraftKings, that full ppr and yardage bonus really allows uh, running backs on draft kings to keep up with the field even if they find themselves in bad game scripts but regardless the majority of the time we still want the running back on the winning team uh, like i did mention with Fanduel, we we do want touchdowns obviously in gpps but it's especially important on Fanduel. our big game uh running backs we saw 84 percent of of our running backs on Fanduel that hit that point threshold uh score at least two touchdowns now on DraftKings, only 63 percent of the time still a big amount still two-thirds of the time but way different than 84 percent uh 63 percent of the time our big game running backs on DraftKings uh scored two touchdowns so we can see that on Fanduel, if a running back gets two touchdowns it's going to be very very hard for uh the field to catch catch up with that player and a lot of times that second touchdown comes in that positive game script uh, with the late game flow uh, one thing that was a little bit surprising is that Vegas totals are one of the worst indicators at least in this scope of the study the indicators that I looked at uh, Vegas totals were one of the worst indicators of running back big games uh, both on on FanDuel and DraftKings but again uh, especially on FanDuel, and if we just think about how running backs acquire points, uh, it's not surprising that a running back can dominate a game, even if it's not a high-scoring game, 
uh, especially on Fanduel again if they uh, if they're winning. Think about Adrian Peterson and Todd Gurley, who uh, whose coaches are especially um, run heavy. Uh, if you think about how the Vikings play when they win, they run the ball a lot. Uh, same with, with the Rams. Regardless of the situation, they're going to run the ball a lot. So even if either of these teams are in a game where there's only 30 points scored, say that the Vikings win a game uh, 21 to 10, it's not hard for Adrian Peterson to have two touchdowns and 100 yards in that game because once they get the lead, they're just going to keep pounding the rock. Same, same thing with the Rams. Uh, so Vegas totals really are not a good indicator of players having a big game. All things being equal, you're going to want the higher scoring game on DraftKings just because running backs that are catching the ball are going to continue to be involved. Uh, but on FanDuel, it's really not that important. And then the last takeaway, and I think it's very obvious just from what I've touched on here, is that receptions are absolutely essential on DraftKings. Uh, it's going to keep your running backs in the game regardless of game script, regardless if they have a chance to score two touchdowns. We saw 75% of our big game running backs uh, pull down at least three catches on DraftKings, and then 60% of the time, those running backs had at least four catches. Again, that's making up for those touchdowns. But then if we look at FanDuel, uh, less than half of the big game running backs had four catches. So that, that catch volume just really isn't helping running backs uh, catch up to those running backs that are dominating the game and, and getting those late game touches and, and chance for a second touchdown. So uh, those are some major takeaways. Uh, I, I get into a, a little deeper on the article on 4 for 4, but those are the things that really stood out if we're looking to pinpoint some big game running backs be on the two sides. Definitely, and I think you made a couple interesting points. Um, the first was about running backs being at home, and I think you know sometimes for, for those newer to DFS, when you hear about something as simple as you know being at home, you might think that's kind of oversimplifying things. But the good thing about things like being at home, or even you know being a Vegas favorite, things like that that you can uh, determine before the game that have predictive value is they can account for things that are difficult to otherwise quantify. For example, you know, I, I don't know how to quantify this, but it seems to me like one of the reasons home teams and running backs at home do better is because offensive lines tend to play better at home. You know, the, the crowd um, doesn't really bother them as much, you know, when they're trying to call out their protections and their signals. And, you know, maybe it's just even, you know, maybe they just get a little extra juice to, you know, line up and block over and over and hit people really hard at home. You know, who knows? But, you know, things like that are really hard to quantify. And, you know, just by taking into account things like home field advantage, you can begin to kind of account for things like, you know, offensive line play and motivation and just all these other intangibles. And then the other thing I think was interesting was that, you know, the discrepancy in DraftKings and FanDuel and how you need multiple touchdowns more often on FanDuel. I think, you know, that's something that also lined up with my research just in terms of in general on FanDuel. Lineups on FanDuel tended to be lower owned. The, the winning lineups in their big tournament, the Sunday Million, tend to have lower overall average ownership than lineups on DraftKings Millionaire Maker winners. And I think one of the reasons is, like you said, TJ, um, on FanDuel, you do need those multiple touchdown games more. So basically, on DraftKings, there's more ways to skin a cat to win a tournament because you can get those yardage bonuses, you can get full points for receptions, and things like that. Where on FanDuel, it's like you need those couple of players each week that have those multiple touchdown games. If you don't get those guys, you know, you're not going to get bailed out as much by a guy going over 100 yards or catching a bunch of extra passes. And so that was just something really interesting that you pointed out that I, I definitely think that the listeners should take note of. And just some other GPP notes. 
DraftKings Millionaire Makers, you know, the median salary for the uh, for their for the more expensive running back is sixty one hundred in the winning Millionaire Maker lineups last year. For the least expensive running back, it was forty five fifty. So the more expensive running back that was fourth out of the nine positions and running back two that was ranked sixth out of the nine positions in terms of salary spent so you can see that people aren't really spending a lot of money at, on running backs especially at the rb2 slot in, in winning DraftKings millionaire maker lineups and a running back was actually in the flex 50 percent of the time last year uh in DraftKings millionaire maker winning lineups that was the most of any position in terms of the ownership percentages the higher owned running back. Now, this is not necessarily the most expensive running back or the, the highest scoring running back in the lineup. This is just literally the average of the highest owned running back in each winning lineup, and that was 20.1%. So basically, what that's saying is you can have one chalk play in, in your lineup at running back. That's usually where you find And that running back will usually be, as we talked about, that one of those running backs that's slated to get uh, a lot of cheap volume. When you're trying to win a, a big tournament, you, you want your overall lineup to be a low-owned or have some unique plays, but you don't need every single player in your lineup to be low-owned. And the average ownership percentage of the top-owned running back at 20% proves that, that that's pretty much a chalk play. But the RB2, it's only 8.1%. So, you know, you, you're trying to find, a, you know, kind of mix a chalk play with a, a more uh, under-the-radar play at running back. And on FanDuel in the Sunday Million, the median salary for the more expensive running back was 7400 That was fourth out of nine positions in the lineup. And for the RB2, it was 6300 and that was fifth out of nine. So kind of the same deal here where you see kind of not very expensive running backs being chosen in these winning lineups. So it's more about finding that volume at an inexpensive price tag. The, the highest owned running back on FanDuel Sunday Millions, the average ownership was 22.1%. So again, we see that you, you're okay with uh, one chalk player at running back. And then for the RB2, it's all the way down to 5.5%. So on FanDuel, again, I think that's probably where a lot of those under-the-radar guys that end up scoring multiple touchdowns are coming in on FanDuel. But on both sites, you're going to have a lot of success trying to save some cash, uh, target the volume, and you can mix a chalk play with a more under-the-radar play. And I recently released an article uh, which found a lot of interesting things about stacking uh, called the Definitive Guide to Stacking on FanDuel and another one called the Definitive Guide to Stacking on DraftKings. You can find both of those on 444.com right now. But what I did found that I want to mention, I mentioned this uh, last week on the quarterback strategy uh, edition of the pod, is the RB1 on on a team is actually the second best player that you can stack with a quarterback outside of his wide receiver one or his top receiver, you know, in, in a rare cases, it's the tight end. But the running back one, even though the actual correlation for running back one to quarterback is not as high as for the receivers, that's when you're looking at every single game. But when you're just looking at players hitting a certain point threshold, for example, combining for 50 points or more, a quarterback and a running back or three players combining for 75 points or more. The running back one uh, is always up there. He's the second best stacking partner after the wide receiver one in three-man stacks. You know, quarterback, wide receiver one, running back one, you know, is, is one of the top stacks. And the running back one is in most of the top three-man stacks and top four-man stacks. So and the reason for that is good stacks 
occur on teams that have great days offensively, you know, put up four or five, six touchdowns. And the reason the running back one makes for a good stacking partner is because uh, 31% of touchdowns in the NFL and 31% of yardage last year in the NFL was rushing, 69% is passing. So when, when you have an offense scoring 30, 40 points, what's going to happen is if you have a quarterback receiver stack, you'll probably account for a lot of that production, but there's still going to be about a third of that production going unaccounted for. And especially if you, if a team puts up, say, you know, five, six touchdowns, a running back has a really good shot at getting at least one, but even sometimes two of those. And, and that's why you want to stack running backs with, with quarterbacks a lot more than people are probably doing now. I think that was probably the top lesson I learned doing off-season research this year is just how viable um, stacking running backs is with their quarterback and don't be a quarterback running back wide receiver don't be afraid to do that either you know I think that's actually top three man stack and that's you know that's because again you can be exposed to the entire production of an offense that had a really good day Um, and then running back defense stacks they're they're nowhere near as good as the quarterback stacks so I wouldn't really build my lineups around the running back defense stacks but there is some correlation there so if you are entering a lot of you know, you're multiple entering GPPs, you're entering a lot of different tournaments or making just making a lot of different lineups. If you can pair a running back with his defense, you know, there is some correlation there. And and I would I would go for it. But I just wouldn't build a lineup around a running back defense stack in the same way that I would build a lineup around a quarterback receiver or a quarterback running back stack. So those are some things as far as uh, tournaments and now you know we know about volume we know about game script we know about vegas lines we know about the ownership percentages um, but something that often gets overlooked in fantasy is, is another thing that's really hard to quantify really hard to separate the signal from the noise and that is coaching and tj you came up with a, a very cool metric called a rush this offseason in an article entitled game script sensitivity and an intro to win adjusted rush rate so uh just tell us about that yeah so uh adjusted rush rate is basically a metric that looks at how often a play caller runs regardless of game script so that's something that's very hard to separate and uh what what i did is first i took all coaches and I looked at how often they run in wins and how often they run in losses. And that gap tells us how game sense, how game script sensitive a play caller is. Uh, and then after that, I looked at each individual win and loss and looked at how much they ran above average compared to the league average. So, for example, last year, uh, Carolina ran 50% of the time, but they had 15 wins. Uh, so in those 15 wins, they ran about 50% of the time, but on average, uh, p- teams that are winning in the NFL run about 47, 48% of the time. So Carolina was really only running about two or 3% above average. So although they finished as the second most run heavy team in the league, a lot of that had to do with the fact that they were winning games. If we just look at the coaching tendencies and the play calling, Carolina was actually the eighth most run heavy team if we remove uh, the weight of wins. So that's something we really need to consider because 
as I mentioned, game script is especially important on FanDuel, but one thing we tend to do when we're building DFS lineups or just making any fantasy football lineup in general is we talk about teams that are going to be winning or losing and talk about game script, but we really need to be using that as a starting point, not as the end-all be-all because every situation is different and we find play callers that are going to really deviate from this norm that we expect based on uh, league averages, then we... We give, us, uh, we give ourselves a chance to really separate ourselves from the field just because you might find a running back on a team that's going to lose, but he's still going to put up really big numbers. And the perfect example of this was last year, I believe it was week four. It was the second week that Todd Gurley was starting. And uh, even though he was priced very cheaply on DraftKings, a lot of uh, DFS owners were fading him because Green Bay was favored by some huge number. I don't remember if it was seven or ten, but... Uh, St. Louis was on the road, and Todd Gurley was obviously going to be on the team that's expected to lose, and I believe that St. Louis ended up losing by something like 14, but I did a little bit of digging and found out that Jeff Fisher had, in his win-loss splits or in, in splits when his team had been an underdog by seven or more, he was actually running slightly more in those losses. So there was some evidence, not necessarily that he's running when he's behind, but that he's running when when he's expected to lose because he's trying to slow down the game and keep it close. Uh, And that's something we see from a lot of non-creative offenses or coaches. Uh, So Jeff Fisher is an example of a coach that's just going to run his running back regardless. And he's not even game script sensitive. He's just going to try to run the ball regardless of if his team is winning or losing and try to slow down the game. And uh, people that faded Todd Gurley probably weren't excited because he ended up having a really big game, even though the Rams got blown out. Uh, so some some of these coaches that were especially game script dependent uh, over the course of their their careers, active play callers I'm looking at here here. Um, Hugh Jackson and Norv Turner, both on average, they run seventeen percent more in wins than losses. So that's something we really want to take note of that if either of these coaches are, in games where we can really expect the game to go one way or another, we really want to pay attention to that, and not just look at their averages. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, we have Scott Linehan and Mark Tressman. And regardless of wins or losses, Linehan was only running, uh, over the course of his career, he's only ran 8% more in wins. Uh, and Tressman's only ran 9% more in wins. The league average is around 13%. So regardless of what their game plan is, they're really going to try to stick to it, uh, regardless of if they're winning or losing. And then looking at adjusted rush rates, uh, some of the most heavy run-heavy teams last year, uh, agnostic of wins, were the Bills. They ran 51% of the time when we adjust for wins. And then the Rams, who I already mentioned, uh, the Rams ran 48% of the time when we adjust for wins. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we see the Patriots, who probably not surprising, but I think this has some really big DFS implications Uh Regardless of if Patriots are winning or losing, when we adjust for those wins, the Patriots were only running 34% of the time, and the Lions were really close, only running 35% of the time. And this is going to be really important, especially going into the season early when we don't have a ton of data on what these teams are doing, because adjusted rush rate correlates way more strongly than just regular rush percentage because we're taking the game script sensitivity out of the equation. So from one year to the next, uh, rush percentage only has a 0.38 correlation uh, from year to year. So that's 
bordering on insignificant correlation. But then if we look at the adjusted rush rates, we see a correlation of 0.5. So something that's a lot stronger and we could depend on a lot more. And that has a lot to do just with coaches generally sticking to uh, their philosophy. I strongly encourage you to actually check out the whole article. Again, it's called Game Script Sensitivity and an Intro to Win Adjusted Rush Rates. It's a really good article, um, some really groundbreaking stuff, so check it out. Um, switching gears a little bit, let's get into some of the more statistical aspects of running backs in terms of just how they perform on a weekly basis and how we can expect the stats to turn out each week. Um, we'll start off by talking about Positional consistency, and that basically means, you know, every position has a different inherent level of consistency in terms of their fantasy production from week to week. We can measure this by looking at the coefficient of variation, or CV, which is basically just measures, uh, it's the uh, standard deviation divided into the mean, and it just measures what by what percentage does a player's fantasy points vary from their average per week so a low number is actually better because it means there's less variance from week to week and running backs are actually in the middle of the pack in terms of positional consistency so for example on FanDuel uh, quarterbacks are the most consistent position their their CV is 41 percent which means on a week-to-week basis quarterbacks will tend to perform either 40 percent 41 percent higher or 41 percent lower than their average the highest or most uh, volatile position is defense special teams at 71%. Running backs come in at 63% on both sides, actually, which is ranked fourth out of the six positions. Tight end and defense are more inconsistent than running backs, but wide receiver, kicker, and quarterback are more consistent than running backs. So they're pretty much in the middle of the pack there. And one one of the things that I think is really interesting uh, to get a deeper understanding of how running back will perform and, you know, what you can expect and what your margin for error is, is actually looking at the CVs of individual stats for running backs, because we can see that if we look at those rushing attempts uh, have the lowest CV um, at 43 percent which again is why I said volume is so important because the lowest CV essentially means it's the most predictable stat. So volume is the most predictable stat, and that's why it's such a backbone of DFS running back selection. Total yards comes in next at 55% for running backs, whereas total touchdowns is at 160%, which means, you know, of, of course, it can be zero most running backs will average under one and then they can get two or three in a game so that's why that's so high so basically you're looking for volume that volume is going to lead to yardage and that's what you really are going to be able to predict more and if you're if you have a running back that's getting a lot of reduction from touchdowns you know great gpp play a lot of upside but not the safest cash game play because you know if he zero touchdowns is pretty much the most likely outcome for a running back in a given game you know not many running backs score even one touchdown in half their game so um, that's something to keep in mind that's why we're always looking for that volume and and that yardage and then from there TJ let's talk about something else that comes into play a lot when we talk about running back stats and something that could trick people and throw stats off and that's you know regression you know every every stat regresses tell us about running backs regressing in terms of fantasy production specifically in the touchdown department because you know touchdowns are the most volatile which means they're the most prone for regression so I know you had a lot of good thoughts on red zone regression 
Yeah, one of the uh, stats that I've dug into probably the most this offseason is touchdown regression, and it's something that you and I have implemented into our game a lot, and you can use this uh, on the weekly level once we get a little more data in the season, but early on in the season, uh, we can look at how players performed last year and, and see who is trending furthest away from expectation. Looking at red zone regression is a stat that got both of us on the Seahawks offense a lot earlier than a lot of people last year and uh, made us some nice money. But uh, the reason that red zone regression is important to look at from last year uh, going into this year is that early season DFS pricing is often going to mimic Uh, redraft ADP and redraft ADP has a lot of last season's performance baked into it as a driving force and like I mentioned before touchdown regression is going to help us pinpoint players that are overvalued or undervalued uh, just due to some possible luck factors from last year and then because those players either start out very high or very low in pricing based on last year's performance uh, we're not just going to see their their pricing change dramatically uh, from week one to week two it's going to take multiple weeks for pricing to catch up to players that that are under overperforming and and if we kind of get a head start on that then we can get some really good value early in the season a couple examples from last year were were eric decker and alan robinson uh if you were doing off-season research for fantasy football there was um, a lot of reason to believe that they were going to have good seasons and of course they did but they came in to dfs week one price very low and it took uh, well over a month for the pricing to catch up to them so the way I looked at touchdown regression candidates this offseason is instead of looking at all red zone touches as one big lump sum, which obviously uh, you can't always do because a touch from the one-yard line is obviously very different than a touch from the 19-yard line. Um, I took all running back plays last year inside the red zone and looked at the yard line that the play started on, and I calculated the league-wide percent chance of that type of play, either a target or a carry, scoring. Um, And then I took all those plays and calculated an expected value from all opportunities for every running back in the red zone last year. And obviously this gave me a huge set of data, but I'm just going to look at some of the biggest outliers for last year. So I'll start with a couple guys that scored a lot more than we probably would have expected them to given their opportunities uh, on the on specific field positions. So the guy that really stands out, and this probably isn't a surprise if you were playing fantasy football last year, is Danny Woodhead, who scored 21 points over red zone expectation last year. Uh, he, sh- he scored nine touchdowns in the red zone last year. Given his touches and where those touches came from, we would expect on average a running back to score about six touchdowns. So uh, that's a pretty big difference, a 50% increase from what we would expect. And Woodhead converted 24% of his red zone opportunities and 41% of his opportunities inside the 10, which is a huge number if we look at the league average. Running backs usually convert about 16% of their red zone opportunities. in the red zone and 27% from inside the 10 and Woodhead's career average is right around the league average. So yes, he does have a very defined role and uh, we expect him to keep that role, but going into the season, we just can't expect Woodhead to perform at the rate that he was performing at last year. So uh, you just can't go into the season and take these guys that were scoring at a ridiculous rate, expect them to repeat that. And then two guys that, 
are kind of in the same breath as Woodhead, and coincidentally, they were both uh, rookies last year, and their mirrors almost mir- their their numbers almost mirrored each other in the red zone. Were Todd Gurley and David Johnson of the Rams and the Cardinals, uh, both running backs scored three rushing touch or three red zone touchdowns over expectation. Uh, they both converted about thirty percent of their red zone touches and about forty percent of their touches inside the ten. And as I mentioned before, those are rates that just generally aren't sustainable. Uh, the Rams probably aren't going to have uh, as many scoring opportunities as a lot of other offenses in the league just because they have uh, a rookie quarterback. Um, They have Jeff Fisher as their coach, which never bodes well for an offense. And then for David Johnson, uh, Arizona is a team that I I touched on this last week uh, with Carson Palmer a little bit. We just expect this team to regress a little bit all around, especially in their scoring rates. Pretty much everybody on that team that was a, a major player in their offense, Fitzgerald, uh, Palmer, obviously David Johnson was a rookie, scored career high touchdown rates. So uh, David Johnson, although over the course of the season, he might be able to, to match his totals last year on volume on a weekly basis. It's just virtually impossible for him to match what he was doing at the end of the season last year. Uh, but if we turn it around and look at guys that had some decent volume in the red zone, but just didn't convert those looks. Uh, one guy that, that stood out the most is Buck Allen, uh, Javoris Allen of of the Ravens, he took over for Justin Forsett at the end of last year and was very effective in pretty much every statistical category except for touchdowns. Uh, He scored 24 points below red zone expectation, but if we look at the touches and targets that he got, he had pretty much the same opportunity as Danny Woodhead, but he had seven fewer touchdowns. So if we converge those two and uh, if Buck Allen is a guy that can step into that lead role, which is really up for grabs right now. He's a guy that early in the season could uh, could present some really, really good value. And then another guy that should have scored a lot more than he did was Giovanni Bernard. He scored 12 points below red zone expected value, which doesn't sound like a ton, but if we look at his touches, it's really surprising how little he scored. Gio had 15 opportunities inside the 10 last year. Uh, five of those were inside the five-yard line where there's a very high conversion rate, and he didn't score on any of those touches. Both of uh, Giovanni Bernard's red zone touchdowns came from outside the 10-yard line. He had more red zone uh, touches than Todd Gurley and David Johnson, who I mentioned as candidates that way overperformed, and we expect to regress the wrong way. And then a lot of what had to do with the uh, the Bengals' offense is Jeremy Hill came on came in a lot inside the five, and it wasn't that Gio wasn't getting looks inside the five. It's just that Jeremy Hill was converting his, and Gio wasn't. Uh, I didn't touch on Jeremy Hill, but if we look at his rate, it was a lot higher than we would expect, even on touches inside the five-yard line. So if we expect Jeremy Hill to regress a little bit and not convert as many uh, of those touches into touchdowns and Gio Bernard comes even close to league average, then he's a guy that could really surprise going into the season. All right, so so we talked about you know consistency, volatility, just talked about regression, and one other thing that can cause some surprises in these stats and these projections are injuries and a study I did that'll be coming out in a couple of weeks on 444.com is how players play while they are hurt. In other words, how are players performing when they have uh, probable or questionable injury tags and they play through it? How, is, how does that compare to their production when they are off the injury report completely? And for running backs, what I found is that there is a, a definite tangible effect that 
playing through injury has on running backs. Overall, running backs performed at about 8.7% below their production level when healthy. This is from using data from 2008 to 2015. Running backs suffered about an 8.7% drop-off when playing hurt. That was a 7% drop-off when probable and an 11.9% drop-off when questionable or doubtful. So if you guys want to see more of that kind of data, look out for the article coming out in a couple of weeks on 4 for 4. Uh, But I'll just tell you a couple of the more problematic injuries that I found for running backs that should be really red flags are groin injuries, foot injuries, knee injuries, and ankle injuries, which all cause an 11% or more drop-off regardless of the injury tag. So something to keep in mind. Uh, Hamstring injuries, on the other hand, were not detrimental when the running back was probable with a hamstring injury, but when he was questionable or doubtful with a hamstring, he lost almost 13% of his production from when healthy. So that's something to keep in mind, you know, probable with a hamstring, no big deal. Questionable to a hamstring, you should start worrying a little more. So again, look out for that article, the effects of injuries on fantasy production. That'll be out, I believe it's August 23rd. Um, let's now get into just finishing up with, uh, we'll take some Twitter questions actually at the end, but before we do, we'll just briefly go through a couple of running backs, things we noticed about week one. TJ, I know you were just talking about Giovanni Bernard. How do you feel about him at the New York Jets in week one at 5,600 on FanDuel and 4,800 on DraftKings? Yeah, we're just going to touch on these guys briefly because we are going to do a full week one episode where we'll get into our favorite plays. But uh, just some quick notes on some guys. Uh, Gio is a guy that I mentioned I'm expecting to regress in the touchdown column. And then he's especially interesting in week one because he's priced very low. And this is probably going to come into account, especially on DraftKings. Um, I don't expect Jeremy Hill to have as defined of a role in this offense just because Hugh Jackson is kind of the ultimate coach that uh, that really loves those defined roles. He's the anti-hot hand coach. So if Gio looks really good, I think he has a lot better chance to stay in the game than we've seen in years past. And this is a team, the Bengals, that uh, could be without Tyler Eifert. Um, we know that Brandon LaFell's their starting receiver now with uh, Muhammad Sanu and, and Marvin Jones gone. They drafted Tyler Boyd, but uh, there's 30% of the target share missing, so we don't know exactly how those uh, touches are going to get split up and then, or those targets are going to get split up, and Jets are favored by two at home. We know Jets have historically been pretty good against the run, so at least in week one before maybe they figure out exactly what their offense is. Uh, this offense can really flow through Geo, and I think uh, regardless of game script, he could be a guy that that is really surprising, especially just on his volume in week one. Definitely, definitely. And I know you also like Latavius Murray at the Saints and Frank Gore as a home favorite. One guy I'll talk about quickly uh, I think is very interesting, another very polari- polarizing excuse me, guy in the fantasy community, Jeremy Wankford. Uh, And I think he's interesting. He's 4,700 on DraftKings. I think he's interesting because he's a road underdog against the Texans. But Langford 
actually started three games last year, and he was an underdog in all three, and he averaged 21.3 touches, 122 total yards, and 1.3 total touchdowns in those three games. Two of them were actually as a road underdog, so he's a guy that's probably going to go way under the radar because, you know, I, I see him falling in drafts all the time. I think I just got him at, like, the eighth round, 807 in a MFL 10, but, you know, he ran with the starters for the entirety of the first preseason game. You know, he had a good uh, pass block on Brandon Marshall. So if he holds on to that job, I, I think not much might have really changed since last year when he was replacing Matt Forte. And he's an under-the-radar guy that could get you those 18 touches, catch some balls, and you know potentially put up some, some numbers at a low ownership. Let's get into some Twitter questions really quickly. We'll try to go through these fast. Hutch and Go Shout-outs to Hutch. He asks, if Jamal Charles is out for week one, is Sharkandrick West a must-play at 3,500 on DK? I would say not a must-play because it looks like right now that Spencer Ware might be overtaking Sharkandrick in terms of the backup running back. Spencer Ware is also probably going to be the goal line guy. He's been working on his pass catching. So I think, you know, West, it might be a situation where he's kind of getting those Melvin Gordon touches between the 20s. But, um, you know, I don't know if Sharkandrick West is going to see paint in week one if Jamal Charles is out. TJ... Aguirre underscore Jason asks, which correlation is better, running back defense or running back kicker? Any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I might throw this one back to you because you're you're kind of the expert on this um, so far this offseason, but I believe the stronger correlation we've seen is with running back and defense, although it's not as strong as we would expect. I think the, the, the position that we actually want to pair our kicker with is quarterback. It's well, yeah, well, quarterback uh, or defense actually with kicker. Mm-hmm. defense and kicker is actually the one. Uh, but yeah, running back defense is is a lot stronger than running back kicker. Running back kicker is not really a stack that I would be considering. Uh, Mike Marr FF actually writes for four for four asks, how are you approaching the Patriots running backs without Brady? And before we know a pattern like last year, are are you just avoiding and? Uh, TJ, me and you actually just talked briefly before we got on air about Deion Lewis, so I guess I'll start there. I know you think Deion Lewis is probably the, the play in, that, in this game, and I think you said he might even get like 12 targets, and I think that's mm-hmm. that's definitely feasible because, you know, when you're starting a guy like Garoppolo, you want to make his job as easy as possible. You do that by putting the ball in the hands of, of good players and letting them do work after the catch rather than having to throw it deep down the field. And we know the Patriots have been a short passing team that relies on yards after the catch. You know, that's that's still their offense. And I think Lewis is probably the guy in this game because it's, a, it's going to be a tough game against the Cardinals. And that doesn't set up very well for LeGarrette Blunt. LeGarrette Blunt would be the preferred back in games where New England is a big favorite and they're at home and whatnot. But playing the Cardinals, not necessarily a game where New England just projects to be leading. So would avoid Blunt, would look at Lewis. And one note on Lewis, we were just talking, TJ, about Martellus Bennett. And I was saying that I think one of the reasons that the Patriots acquired Bennett was not to use him as an Aaron Hernandez type of player because Aaron Hernandez is a really great uh, receiver and uh, better than Bennett, but Aaron Hernandez wasn't much of a blocker. Bennett is. Um, Gronkowski is one of the best blockers at tight end in the league, if not the best. And then 
Bennett is up there as well. And I think by acquiring Bennett and making Bennett part of the base offense, having a two tight end, two receiver, one running back offense. And remember, they also invested a long-term contract in Deion Lewis. And I think one of the reasons they acquired Bennett was now you can line up with a, a really good blocking tight end on each side of the offensive line. And I think that helps you be able to, number one, free up Gronk and Deion Lewis to run routes and have Bennett block some, even in passing situations. But also, it allows you to hand the ball off to Lewis more because now you have an, it's essentially an extra tackle on each side of the line because we know Deion Lewis is not going to be the greatest, you know, between the, the tackles runner. But, you know, if you have what's essentially an extra offensive lineman at the end of the line on both sides with Gronk on one and Bennett on the other, now you can start to run Lewis to either side on outside runs more and keep defense more off balance. So I think that was one of the the big reasons um, the Patriots picked up Martellus Bennett, and I think it's going to help Lewis, and I think it's going to help Lewis get more carries this year than he saw last year. So it really just comes down to health, as I talked about with the injuries. You know, if you see him with a lot of probable or questionable tags, you probably want to avoid him. But if he's healthy and ready to go, definitely Deion Lewis. TJ uh, at Jojo L. Mags asks, are you avoiding the Falcons backfield in week one and waiting to see how things shake out uh, i don't think so i don't think Devonte's price so high that you just have to avoid him completely uh he's a little bit pricier on fandle at 8100 he's only 6900 on dk so if you're looking at uh the top tier running backs he's not really that bad of a situation i don't expect him to just go into a 50 50 split atlanta's favored by three at home we know that's a very favorable situation uh so i mean if i'm in a spot where I'm looking at a running back in that price, I don't think I, he's just a straight fade for me. Yeah. Admiral Cappy asks, uh, he would love to know some recommended tips and resources for creating DFS spreadsheets. Um, I would say uh, subscribe to 444's DFS subscription. Um, we have downloadable CSVs with all the player pricing, all of the uh, projections which have done really well, uh, stood up really well to the industry's projections over the last uh, five, six years. Uh, John Paulson, shout out to him, does an amazing job projecting players each week. He's got a couple of top one finishes and a bunch of top five finishes, uh, pretty much finishes in the top five uh, almost every year in these contests. He's really great at those. Um, If you get the DFS subscription, you're going to have a lot of downloadable information. Um, And just as far as spreadsheet creation, I think a lot of it just comes down to little things that make your life easier. You know, conditional formatting can learn things like a V lookup, you know, things, all these things you can find out on just just googling you know excel help watching a quick video tj used to rank if function a lot you know i know we both use v lookup you know just learning some of the functions and then you know just having spreadsheet with player projections player pricing you can do a calculation of touches per dollar which i believe will be in the 444 dfs sub this year uh, targets per dollar things like that you know have the floor the ceiling projections in there all of that stuff and you know just have kind of an overall uh, master sheet where you can go to quickly you can adjust quickly and that'll help you make decisions quickly because we know things can tend to change uh, on Sunday morning or sometimes you just be in a, a rush to make lineups on Sunday morning and you need a compact document that you can be referring to rather than you know jumping back and forth um, so those are some tips sorry if we didn't get to all your Twitter questions I think we just went over an hour so want to wrap this up but again thank you guys for listening um, you know thank you to all the 444 subscribers thank you to all the, the the new listeners and thank you to all the industry people that um have also been very kind to us and um, pumping up the podcast we really appreciate all of the feedback and in closing uh just want to remind you guys that the 444.com dfs subscription for 2016 is available now 
as I said, me, TJ, John Paulson, Josh Moore, um, all been working on the subscription really hard pretty much since it launched last season. We're really excited about what we're going to be offering this year. We've added uh, ceiling and floor projections to the lineup generator. We've tweaked our ceiling and floor projections to not only account for weekly volatility, but also to account for how well we can project weekly volatility. So if a stat like, say, tight end touchdowns is very volatile, sometimes it's zero, sometimes it's one. So, you know, you're projecting it at 0.5 all the time. Well, if you knew how to project it, you might know exactly when to project it at one and when to project it at zero. Your ceiling and floor uh, wouldn't be as high because you'd, you'd have more confidence in your projection. So we've, uh, we've adjusted the ceiling and floor projections to reflect how well we can actually project each individual stat for each position. So we're really excited about that. We have a whole bunch of new stacking info, and we're taking all that stacking info that I laid out in the definitive guides, and we are implementing it into our stack value reports and are implementing it into which positional combinations we offer for the stack value reports. A lot of you have been asking for pricing tools and pricing page and just um, keeping track of all the pricing and how they change from week to week and over the year, and we've added that. As I mentioned, a bunch of downloadable CSVs, a lot of content, you know, matchups, what are the cornerbacks doing each week. We do site-specific cash game and GPP articles for FanDuel, DraftKings, and Yahoo. And it's a lot of value. It's $99. Pays for itself uh, really quickly. It's only about five dollars per week, and um, you know we're not just here talking a big game. You know, if you guys want to see, for example, how I played DFS um, last year, I did a bankroll builder series last season where I essentially, I think I started with about a thousand bucks on Fanduel and essentially doubled that up. It's a really strong subscription. A lot of great content. A lot of great tools. All the stuff we've been talking about on these podcasts and that we will talk about. All that knowledge, all that strategy is all implemented into the subscriptions. We built it to where it's something that we. Can can just use every week um, in our DFS research and to build our lineup. So strongly encourage you to subscribe to 4 for 4's DFS subscription. That's about it. Any parting words, Mr. TJ Hernandez? Let's get this money. Let's get this money. Follow TJ at TJ Hernandez on Twitter at TJ H-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. And you can follow me on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S. R-A-Y-B-O-N. That's at Chris Raybon. This is DFS MVP presented by 4 for 4 Football. Let's get all of the money this year. I don't care who's first or who last, but I know that y'all just better rock this at the drop of a dime, baby. I don't know what y'all gonna do with this, but it got to be funky. It got to be funky if you're gonna be on it. I don't care who start, I don't care what y'all do, but you got to be finished before the music is through. Tried to do what I did, just the way I came off then, I'm gonna come off, stronger and longer, even with the drum off, I'll keep on going and flowing just like a river, I got a whole lot to give, so I'm a giver, little at a time, new trails are blazing, action is in effect, it always stays in, yeah, just like a shot from a cannon, I am the man in charge and I'm the planet, a jam strong enough that it can lift your soul, I'm the originator, and my rhymes are made of gold, once you hear the capital A, rap it'll stay with you for a while. It won't go away unless you force it Because it stays with you, my friend And if you force it away, I'ma hit you again I project my voice so it's right in the crowd There's a sign at the door, no biting allowed And if you didn't read it, I suggest you do so Or you'll be stranded, just like a Russo Sleep if you wanna, go ahead, get some shut eye A man broke his jaw trying to say what I Say on the microphone, he should've left it alone Just for the 
Big G, light up the mic for the symphony. The gym is dedicated to all unoptimistics that thought I wasn't coming out with some exquisite rhymes. But that's alright, cause now I'm back to kill all the rumors and straighten the facts of me. Not rocking rhymes like I always used to, but you jumped on the tip when you heard me in the juice crew. You said, mm mm mm, ain't that something? Look like I heard you in that jam and it's pumping. I apologize. Don't even sleep, try not to keep your eyes closed Cause if you do, 